0: to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the building of the temple, as we pick up in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 3. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now,
1: these are the things that Solomon instructed for the building of the house of God. The building was to be 90 feet by 30 feet, the the very building itself. The porch was in the front of it, and the length was according to the breadth of the house. 30 feet was the height. The height of it was rather 120. And he overlaid it, within with pure gold. So a building this size and now inside is, is just overlaid completely with pure gold. The greater house he sealed with fir trees and he overlaid those with fine gold. And he set there on palm trees and chains and he garnished the house with precious stones for beauty. And the gold was the gold of Parvim. He overlaid also the house with the beams and the posts and the walls thereof and the doors thereof with gold. And he carved cherubims on the walls and he made the most holy place. The length, according to the breadth of the house, was 30 feet and the breadth of it 30 feet and he overlaid it with fine gold which came to 600 talents or At the $30 an ounce price, about $18 million, what it would be today, of course, with gold at 500 and something an ounce, you can figure out yourself. But this was just for the holy of holies within. So the amount of the value of this whole temple that was built by Solomon is is valued at, at somewhere in the billions of dollars. The estimates, of course, range. Now the weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold, and he overlaid the upper chambers with gold. In the most holy house he made two cherubims, and he overlaid them with gold. And the wings of the cherubim were 30 feet long. One wing of the one cherub was seven and a half cubits reaching to the wall of the house, and the other wing was likewise seven and a half cubits reaching to the wing of the other cherub. So that is the total wingspan of the cherubs. The two cherubs uh, were... 20 feet, cherubs, their wings would touch in the middle. And uh, this, remember, is all a little model of heaven. The Holy of Holies is a model of heaven and the throne of God. And so the cherubim about the throne of God that John saw in the book of Revelation and that Ezekiel saw. And he made the veil of blue and purple and crimson and fine linen And he wrought the cherubims, they wove cherubims into this veil of the temple And also he made before the house two pillars of thirty and five cubits So to be about forty-seven and a half, fifty feet tall And there was this ornamental work on the top of each of them Of uh, seven and a half feet And he made chains as in the oracle And he put them on the heads of the pillars And made a hundred pomegranates And put them on the chains And he reared up the pillars before the temple One on the right hand and the other on the left And he called the name on the right hand Jachin and the name on the left Boaz Moreover he made an altar of brass That was 30 feet Long and 30 feet wide, and it was 15 feet high, this brazen altar for the offering of the sacrifices. And he made this molten cast, this huge brass bath for the priest to bathe in. The sea of uh, 15 feet from brim to brim A rounding compass Seven and a half feet high And uh, it was, of course, 45 feet around it And under it was the likeness of oxen Twelve oxen that they carved of brass And three pointing towards the north Three facing towards the south Three facing towards the east And three facing towards the west All facing outward And this big brass pool on top of it now, the thickness of the brass pool was the thickness of your hand breadth. If you can picture it, and it held about 24,000 gallons of water. Now, to cast something like this today would be near impossible. A brass swimming pool seven and a half feet deep 15 feet across and the width of it about six to eight inches thick and this was for the priest to bathe in and then around the top of it all kinds of fancy work flowers and lilies and so forth carved in it and then he made 10 other basins so that they could wash the instruments. Of course, with the sacrifices, there was a lot of blood and, and all. And thus it was necessary that the priests bathe and, and get this blood off of them. And of course, the, the knives and the instruments, the, and all that they used would all be uh, bloody after the offering of, of these sacrifices. And so 10 of these lavers to wash the various instruments in and the big pool, For the priest to wash in. And then he made the ten candlesticks of gold. And ten tables that he placed in the temple. Five on the right side, five on the left. And he made a hundred basins of gold. And then he made the court of the priest, the doors of the court, he overlaid them with brass. And uh, this big... Basin was on the right side at the east end And Hiram made the pots and the shovels and the basins And Hiram finished the work that he was to make for King Solomon For the house of God That is the two pillars and the pommels and the chapters Which were on the top of the two pillars The two wreaths to cover the two pommels And the 400 pomegranates and so forth And the bases and the lavers And the oxen And Solomon made all of these vessels in great abundance. They cast them actually down in the Jordan River in the clay area down there and then carried them on up to Jerusalem. Moreover, the candlesticks and their lamps they made for the holy place out of pure gold. And the flowers and the lamps, the tongs, they made of gold, perfect gold. The snuffers and the basins, the spoons. And so all of the instruments for the worship made of pure gold. And all of the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all of the things that David, his father, had dedicated, the silver, the gold, the instruments, and he put them among the treasures of the house of God. And then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers, to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast which is in the seventh month, which would be then the feast of trumpets. And the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle did the priest and the Levites bring up, and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen, which could not be counted because of the number of them, the multitude of them. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the holy of holies of the house, under the wings of the cherubim. The cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark with the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves from the ark, and there was nothing in the ark except the two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb when the Lord made the covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Now, originally, when Moses set up this little ark of the covenant, they put not only the two tables of stone upon which God had inscribed the Ten Commandments, but they also had the rod of Aaron that budded, and they also had a jar of manna. But uh, at this point, of course, the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines and passed around. And so at this point, all that was in the Ark of the Covenant, according to the record, was just the two tables of stone I have often thought how exciting it would be if they could discover again the Ark of the Covenant someplace. This little box made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And if the two tables of stone upon which God inscribed the law were still in them, what an archaeological find that would be. I'm sure that God has kept it lost Because what a relic this would become And people would soon be worshiping it And so God I'm sure has deliberately just kept this thing hidden And uncovered by man Lest man would make some kind of an idol out of it Now it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place. For all of the priests that were present were sanctified and they were, they were not at that time waiting for their courses. And the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph and of Haman and Jeduthun, With their sons and their brothers being arrayed in white linen and having the cymbals and the psalteries and the harps stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests who were sounding with trumpets. And it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. When they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then... The house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. What a momentous occasion this must have been. The people of Israel gathered. Here is this fabulously beautiful temple overlaid with gold. It's now complete, beautiful work of carvings and all. And so they bring the Ark of the Covenant from the tent into the Holy of Holies within this temple. And they pull out the staves and they set it in its place between the cherubim. And then the priest, some of them with the instruments of psalteries, others with harps, 120 of them with trumpets. Plus, David had appointed a couple thousand as singers. And they all began to just worship God in in the song, in the music. And as it came to this great crescendo, as the sound of the trumpets and the voices blended as one Voice of praise and thanksgiving unto God The cloud of God's glory That was the sign of God's presence Among the children of Israel in the wilderness Came down and it filled the temple And the priest Because of the glory of God's presence Couldn't even stand But just lay there In the glory of God's presence What a beautiful sight Bunch of fanatics (laughs) Then said Solomon The Lord hath said that he would dwell in the thick darkness Now Solomon at this point Preached a sermon to the people All of Israel you remember All the chief people had gathered And out in the courtyard He had built this little brass platform Seven and a half feet square. And it was about four and a half feet high. And so he stood up on this little platform so that he could address all of the congregation of Israel. And his sermon to them is a sermon on the faithfulness of God. And the very fact that here is the temple... It is completed, it is built It testifies to the faithfulness of God's promise For it was in the heart of David my father to build a house For the name of Jehovah God of Israel And Jehovah said unto David my father For as much as it was in your heart to build a house for my name You did well in that it was in your heart Notwithstanding, you shall not build it Now, this to me is very interesting God said, David, inasmuch as it was in your heart to do it You did well, that's fine That's good God reckons the things of man's heart Now, it is interesting A lot of people have a real heart to give to God but they have nothing to give. Inasmuch as it is in their heart to give, God counts that. Some people have a lot to give to God, but they don't give with their hearts. God doesn't count that. God is interested in your heart. What is in your heart to do for God? Now, you may not always be able to accomplish that which is in your heart to do, but God takes the consideration of the fact that it's in your heart to do it for the Lord. Now, within a lot of you, it is within your heart to serve God in some capacity. It's in your heart to be in the ministry. And inasmuch as it is in your heart to serve the Lord, God acknowledges it. That's good. It may be that you will never be actively engaged in a pulpit kind of a ministry. I cannot believe that you'll never be engaged in a ministry. I believe that all of us have a ministry, and some of us have the misfortune of having a pulpit ministry. (laughs) And I really feel that the rewards for the ministries that are done more or less in a secret or a quiet way, are greater than those public kind of ministries where you get so much feedback and all from the actual ministry itself. It is interesting how so many pray that God will give them sort of a pulpit ministry or a public ministry. And I've prayed for years that God would give me some quiet ministry, For years, I prayed that God would help me and call me just to be a Christian businessman. I wanted to prove that you could be gung-ho for Jesus Christ and be involved in business. I've heard people say, oh, it's so hard to be a businessman and be a Christian. I don't believe that. And I've always wanted God to call me to be a businessman so I could prove that you can be a sold-out, gung-ho Christian working in the business world. What is in your heart to do for God? God sees your heart. God knows your heart. And not only that, God accounts what's in your heart to do. And when God finally measures the things that have done We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the reward for the things that we've done in our body, whether they be good or evil. And all of our works are going to be judged by fire, what manner or sort they are. And if your works for the Lord endure this fiery judgment, you'll receive a reward. But many of the works are as wood, hay, and stubble and will be consumed in that day of judgment. And you come and offer all your works before God and is tested by God's fire, and poof, there went all your works. Well, Lord, where's my reward? You had it. You were doing your works in such an ostensible way that everybody recognized and knew what you were doing. When you pray, don't sound a trumpet before you and all, or don't go out on the street corners and and don't make a big fanfare. Go in your closet, shut the door. Your Father which sees in secret will reward you. When you give, don't make a big to-do over the amount you're giving and a big parade over the thing, but just don't even let your right hand know what your left hand does. Give to the Father in secret, and your Father which seeth in secret will reward you. When you fast, don't make a big deal over your fasting and go around with a long face and a hungry look so that everybody knows you're fasting. But wash and anoint your face, look happy, and fast unto your Father in secret, and your Father which sees in secret will reward you. Their works will be tested. What was the motivation? Was I desiring to appear righteous before people? Was I desiring feedback from people? Or was I taking the position that I had to feed my own egoistic needs? If so, those works will all go up in the smoke of the fire by which my works are to be judged. And I will lose the reward for any work that I may have done for
0: vainglory's sake We'll continue with more of our verse by verse Bible study in the book of second Chronicles on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order second Chronicles 3 through6 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck.
1: May the Lord be with you, give you a beautiful week, and may His words sustain you as you walk with Him in fellowship. May God really begin a powerful work in your life. May your life be like a light shining in a dark place, that others might be drawn to that light, And find the source of the light, even Jesus. So God bless you and give you a rich week in fellowship with Him.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It's with great honor that the Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's book
1: entitled Prayer, Our Glorious Privilege. With great clarity, Pastor Chuck masterfully taught the principles of praying to God our Father and emphasized the power that belongs to each one of us when we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide and nurture our prayer lives. I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, Prayer, Our Glorious Privilege, and study it to put these biblical principles into practice. Read this book and come to the most amazing realization that prayer is the most potent weapon in your spiritual arsenal and use it with great promise and hope. For when you begin a life of prayer, you begin a great adventure. To order a copy of this book in print or to download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call The Word for Today at
0: 800-272-9673.